Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming on the line and diving underwater for your viewing pleasure. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a news and entertainment writer at Collider. It's Will Ashton. Hey, Will. Hey, John. Guess what? Yeah. I see you. Mm. Uh, that's part of the problem, isn't it? I hear you. I feel like this podcast has really gone downhill ever since we turned our cameras on. Mm. For a long well, time there, we had them off, and it was pretty nice. Well, all right, fine. Starting off <laughs> a little hostile. I don't know what this co- where this is coming from, but fine. <laughs> well, you know, there there was a time when you didn't know like my facial expressions. You didn't know how I was feeling mm. about things. Now you read me like a book. You know me too well now. Mm. I see you, John. It's been a... I feel like it's been like a year now we've been doing that. I don't even remember when we started. Hell if I know. I'm just here to talk about the movies. I'm not here Uh, to (laughs) relitigate the history of the podcast and how we record these things. Well, let's start with episode one of Cinemaholics. It was a cold 2017 morning. All right. So, uh, yeah, this week we're talking about Avatar The Way of Water. And I think that's going to be an interesting review because I don't know exactly what you think about it. I think you know what I think because I've been telling you. But you've been kind of coy, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that, right? I'm yeah, excited. I guess so. Yeah. But first, I, I wanted to bring something up. I wanted I wanted to bring up a little bit of a, an off topic as we want to do here on the show. And because, well, this is something, you know, I've brought up plenty of times over the last few years. We started this show really when streaming was starting to take off a bit, right? I mean, you know, not to do what you said not to do and get a little nostalgic about the history of this show. But yeah, from like 2017 to 2022, I'd say the last five years. The uh, streaming era was in what some would call a golden age, right? And there are some people who are now saying that golden age is over because there have been some pretty significant developments over the last year, this week in particular, the main culprit being HBO Max uh, or Max, as they're now called, just essentially removing a bunch of content from their service. Uh, Netflix announced earlier this year they're getting rid of Hemlock Grove and other things that were their shows like Netflix originals and they're getting rid of that stuff. And you and I have brought this up before and the, the reasons for doing that. Uh, some people might say like, why would you take stuff off of a streaming service? That makes no sense. Like what's the point of that? And what tends to be the explanation is that if they do that, they don't have to pay residuals to the content creators. And we might be heading toward a situation where they might start to build out like contracts and things like that. So they never like th- so that they could keep things on their service without paying people. Right. And so that's that's definitely a dark road that I think could be one we're going to go down. That said, Will, how are, how are you feeling about the, uh, the the streaming era? Do you believe the golden age of streaming is over? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fascinating in that it had uh, a boon in uh, 2020 where everyone was home. Yes. Uh, everyone was streaming things because they couldn't go outside. They couldn't do things. So Disney it, Plus was still in its infancy, but it, yeah. it really took off that year. Yeah, I think they a lot of um, like Hollywood content creators and producers, uh, I think they saw that and they're, you know, coming off of 2019, 2018, 2017, as you're saying, you see like this rise and they're kind of like, oh, this is the future. And uh, I mean, I think Netflix kind of learned earlier than some of these other streaming services that there is like a ceiling for what they can do. Like they're spending and 
astronomical amount of money, but there's only there only are only so many people who can subscribe to your service. It seems like there's not going to be an infinite uh, amount of people who are going to get Netflix subscriptions. They're either going to you know borrow a friend's account, or you know there's only so many people in the world. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are exceptions. Now they're going to have ads. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like they're going to have ads. And they're going to try to produce things in a weekly fashion so that people don't say you know. Uh, uh, get a new subscription for the new season of Stranger Things, binge it, and then, you know, get rid of it. Uh, you know, they want people to kind of return to their service and, you know, keep a subscription the way that you would say with the cable package. And yeah, they're kind of just learning the lesson that TV learned uh, so many decades ago. But in any case, I mean, yeah, I think with HBO Max, or as you said, Max, uh, that's a little bit more complicated because it comes down to new management. And they're very clearly like, we prefer the theatrical experience. We want to make as much money as possible. We believe that, you know, uh, people going to the theaters and paying to see our movies is obviously going to make more money than someone just buying a monthly subscription and streaming as much as they want or as little they, as they, they want. They kind of panicked in 2021, right? They were like, oh, we need to release these movies alongside you know, theatrical, and they put it on the streaming service same day. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people who were in charge of that decision, I believe, are no longer at Warner Brothers. And uh, I mean, also, like you said, like David Zasloff is like very cutthroat and just like, I don't care if people don't get residuals, whatever. Right. He's a reality TV guy. Yeah. He comes from that world. Um, But I think I do find it fascinating that it seems like Disney is still pretty gun ho about streaming and about keeping uh, Disney Plus being a like booming and prominent part of their brand. And I mean, maybe they, they have made concentrated efforts to uh, go away from that, but it doesn't it hasn't been shown, at least for so far as I can see. And it seems like they're still, you know, pretty uh, confident in that. Uh, you know, I, I mean, certainly the success of Encanto on their service shows that they can, yeah. you know, appeal to younger audiences, you know, kids who like to watch and rewatch their movies over and over again. It makes sense, I guess, for them to be a streaming service. But I think there was that point in time where everyone was like uh, trying to get their own streaming service. And it seems like the reality is kind of hitting them like a cold water, like cold water. The thing face. that we all said was going to happen in 2018 right. and 2019 when yeah. it was like, oh, oh, we're starting a streaming service. Now we're starting a streaming service. And we're like, well, this isn't going to last. Like, this is not feasible. This is not sustainable whatsoever. And Disney's problem, right, was that they were releasing things like Pixar movies straight to Disney Plus, like Turning Red. And imagine how much money Turning Red might have made for them that they just bought the you know bit the tooth on whatever that expression is right uh same thing with luca and soul i mean yeah. soul is different because that was obviously you know height of the pandemic and then luca was a little bit more in between the vaccines were only just starting to get rolled mm-hmm. out but turning red there was no excuse right and i guess i should say for as much as disney is still seemingly interested in building uh disney plus as their brand they have also changed hands and you know uh uh was it Bob Iger just came back? Bob Iger is back. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons is because I think that Disney is really annoyed with the the way that the streaming service has taught people not to go to the theater. Because now people are like, I'm not going to go see Lightyear in the theater. I don't care because it's just going to be on Disney Plus in like 10 minutes. Yes. And the same thing with Strange World. Nobody right. showed up for it because people understand how it works now. And Kanto was the same way. So I think that they are... 
I think what they were prioritizing with Disney Plus was we need to just build IP. We don't need the theatrical money to pay off those expenses. What we need are theme park attractions that are going to get people to come back to the parks because the park revenue is going down because of COVID stuff. So I think that now... Bob Iger is coming back and is a little bit like, yeah, we need to build out franchises, but Disney Plus cannot be the only way. That's a drop in the bucket. And they are hemorrhaging money at this point. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, some of the decisions, I guess, made sense. Like like putting Hamilton on their service in the summer of 2020, that, made, that, was, that made sense. But yeah, for the most part, I feel like the the dream of streaming has is starting to kind of backfire outside of their TV content. But even then, it seems like they're... You know, they've been prioritizing um, these uh, Star Wars shows, and it seems like they're also kind of, you know, itching to make another film. But they're, you know, it seems like they've kind of cornered themselves into doing all this TV content that they're not exactly sure if, you know, putting a Star Wars movie in theater is going to be the same. You know, still the sting of um, uh, Solo probably weighs on them. But I don't know for sure. I mean, that's just me speculating. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, the big question, I guess, for me is like, is. Uh, the influx of these Marvel shows, uh, is that hurting their business as far as these uh, recent Marvel movies? Because it seems like <sighs> none of them are really making the same impact that like Avengers Endgame made. And that could be a variety of factors. But like even something or, like well, Black any Panther, of the movies, I mean, uh-huh. even the movies that have come out since Endgame, I think have like there hasn't been like a show that really matches No Way Home or even like I would say like sure like WandaVision and Loki I think a lot of more people saw that than they saw Shang-Chi and the Eternals but I would guess more people saw Shang-Chi Eternals Doctor Strange Thor and those movies despite all of the negative reviews uh, you know positive reviews too but the mixed reviews for a lot of those I'm sure way more people saw that than like Hawkeye Moon Knight Miss Marvel and I think that saturation is obviously it, it's hurting their brand a little bit because people are getting sick of it. They're feeling like it's homework. It's mimicking the exact same thing that in some ways poisoned the comic book industry for these big comic book studios because people are like, I, I, yeah. I can't even read a Marvel comic book. I, I want to read Spider-Man, but I don't even know mm-hmm. where to begin. It's too right. convoluted. It's too confusing and complicated. The market is just super oversaturated at this point. Yeah, because then they also have to contend with the fact that people are way less interested in superhero movies than they were a couple of years ago. I think that that has shifted a lot. And I was going to bring that up with uh, with Netflix, because here's here's something that I do like about Netflix's approach to things. Now, people will criticize Netflix because they do things that people don't agree with. You know, they, they green light certain things from certain people that, you know, some people would say that shouldn't have a a platform, whatever. We don't have to get into that. But there are a lot of other people who are like, man, this is the place to go where if you just want original content from a wide variety of different creative voices, that's where you're going to, you know, Netflix has sort of built a reputation for if you want to be in the know, if you want to watch what everybody else is watching, there are breakout hits on Netflix all the time because they release so many things. There's bound to be something that kind of just kicks off. There's going to be like a Queen's Gambit sort of situation or a Squid Game. Uh, there, two, there are three big ones. I would, I believe, are Stranger Things, Bridgerton, and Witcher, right? And those shows have like really just taken off, and they have way more stuff like in the wings sure. that they're developing, right? Yeah. So I think that Netflix, the way they're doing it, is smart, but they are sort of at the same time kind of looking at us and being like. We do need to make some extra cash, though. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to donate to us Wikipedia style, I mean, they're not doing mm-hmm. that yet, but I'm like, 
I yeah. wouldn't even be a little surprised. Yeah. But I mean, that shotgun approach you're talking about where it's just like shooting everything at the wall and seeing what sticks is like, that means like at best, like one of three shows are going to like cut through the mold. And if that's enough, to, maybe one of five, one of 10. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I was being a little generous, but yeah, I mean, I, that's, <laughs> that's still like spending an, you know, astronomical amount of money to produce content. Most of which is not going to like really make much of a difference and probably go out forgotten or, you know, worse uh neglected and unseen and i mean i don't know if that's a sustainable business model if you're gonna like you know most of your stuff's gonna fail but i mean you know like the movie business before the age of streaming and stuff like that would just you know make you know variety of films and then if at least like a handful of them were successful they could kind of you know make up for the ones that didn't you know reach that same critical or uh, commercial success but Mm. uh, i just don't know if that's in the cards for netflix at this point they seem to be hemorrhaging money and it seems like they're only going to be further in debt even if they take on more advertising and stuff like that and i mean i don't know where that you know what what the end game is this point if they can really kind of keep afloat if they're still going to be hurting money that much but i mean you know they're gonna have to make some decisions at some point what those decisions are are uh still left to be said I'm sure I'm sure some people are hearing that and they're like, yeah, all right, guys, but like I'm not I'm not crying crocodile tears for Warner Brothers or Netflix like they got cash. They'll figure it out. And I get that. Here's where it becomes real for the rest of us. The thing that we're starting to see more and more is that a lot of these shows, a lot of these movies that have only ever existed on streaming, many of which don't have any sort of physical release there's no way to get a hold of them anywhere a lot of the stuff you can't even you can't buy on you know like google play or amazon or any sort of like rental streaming right they're just disappearing like we're in the midst of that like stuff is just gone and i think that the most cynical part of a person like me or you can look at that it's like oh that might create a little bit of a if i have this netflix subscription i have to watch this now i have to binge this now because it might not be there forever and that is not a healthy long-term approach to this sort of thing because then you run into people just not getting into anything because they feel like you know or they feel like they shouldn't subscribe because they this stuff is so ephemeral and they really like something and they can't have access to it later what's the point and so yeah I think yep. we're going to be seeing that more and more in 2023. That's going to be the big thing mm. that's going to get people kind of like, screw this. Yeah. And I mean, if you're like, uh, you know, a creator, uh, uh, you know, like either creative personality or content creator, and you know that, like, I think that's going to be a big issue for Warner Brothers moving forward is that like, I saw how you screwed over all these filmmakers. I saw what you did yes. to the Batgirl team. People Why, are already saying like, that. Like, what, what are you going to do to inspire confidence in like, something I'm going to spend, you know, two years of my life making, if you're just going to like, you know, yeet it off the site, uh, like, f- you know, like a year or two later, like, I mean, you know, just so I, you I, don't have to pay me. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that just, I mean, that would be something that if I was a filmmaker, I would be weary about, like, I don't know if I would want to go to Warner brothers to have them green light my project that they would even green light my project because like, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen to it. I don't trust you at this point. I don't think you have my best interest at heart. So that doesn't inspire confidence in me wanting to work with you in the future. And I, I do wonder if that's going to be the case. I mean, I don't know. I mean, with Warner Brothers, I think it's going to be a bigger issue. I don't know if that's going to be the case with Netflix because they're such a huge brand and they have so many, you know, pockets that they can pay uh, creators, even if they are hemorrhaging money. But yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's definitely something that uh, will potentially play out poorly in the near future. The last thing I wanted to bring up: this is more of a big picture thing. 
but I've been thinking a lot about how some of this too is a bit of an overcorrection of the fact that there's too much content, there's too much stuff, right? And one of the reasons there's too much stuff is because the monoculture is essentially dead. And when I say monoculture, what I mean is there used to be a sort of unified national conversation around the things that come out back when they were like three to five channels. And that has obviously gotten larger and larger as time has gone by as we've gotten things like cable, satellite television, network TV has sort of subsided a lot, especially when these streaming services came on. And so the monoculture has kind of shifted a little bit to, okay, there are a few main streaming services that most people have. The problem is that and I, I shouldn't even say it's a problem. It's kind of a good thing that there's a lot of variety now. There's something for everybody, right? Because advertisers and streaming service people, you know, the people who make the streaming services, I don't know what to call them, robber barons. They are looking at the landscape of who they can create content for. And there are so many demographics of people who want different things. So they're trying to create like something for everybody. And it's creating a lot of noise. It's, it's creating a pretty saturated market. Uh, we see it with superhero stuff for sure, right? Everybody wants like their own Marvel thing. And yeah. I think where we're headed is like maybe this is a bit of an overcorrection and it's going to dial back down a little bit to, okay, maybe this stuff needs to be a little bit more curated, right? Maybe this stuff like we've kind of seen it with the music industry a bit when we started getting like streaming on music services and like suddenly like people could get access to like tens of millions of songs instantly. We started to see curation taking over the music industry's essential, like it was two things. It was the music industry started really gearing toward playlists, things like discover weekly on Spotify. Right. And also live concerts started to really explode because people were missing that immediacy, that urgency. So I do wonder if, you know, the movie industry, movies and TV are a little bit of a step behind that. That's just me wildly speculating, but that would be nice to see because the music industry, while it's still extremely in like a tough place right now, it's certainly that there are artists on there who have found ways to adapt and work around the system. Yeah. I mean, another thing we didn't really discuss is that, um, you know, for all this uh, money it's thrown into making content, they're not supplementing the marketing departments to actually advertise these things. And That's so right. You can make, you know, any number of things for any number of audiences, but if they don't know about it, and you just kind of hope that everything you have is going to be the next Stranger Things or Tiger King, where the word of mouth just is produced organically. And you don't even have to like, you know, pay for advertisement and the fans advertise it themselves. I mean, it just, it's not a really healthy way of doing things. It's also just asking a lot of the fans to be like, you have to like advertise this for us. Like you yeah. need to get the word out. And it's you have like, to create a fandom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to stand these characters, <laughs> or else there may not be a second season. But I mean, it's just like you know, it's it's not sustainable, really. I mean, that's gonna you know backfire in the long run because you know, like there's like a show like um you know like Joe Paradox with you, which is a beautiful you know lovely little show, but that's not something that like really you know like you know makes a lot of noise. And I'm very concerned for like something like John Wilson's show because that's like such a simple pure little thing. I, I it can't really like be something bigger than it actually is and i and i worry that that's you know that's going to hurt it in the long run but i don't know i mean you know it does seem like like you're saying that the streaming services are learning a lot of hard lessons they probably should have learned sooner than this and you know i think they didn't because of the pandemic and they because they had a boost there but i mean they're gonna have to figure some stuff out and like you said i mean i don't know if it's going to be good in the long run but we'll figure it out i guess yeah well, i hope i hope one of these weeks we talk about 
all of this as it applies to podcasts because sure. whew, there's a whole other a market that's super oversaturated. Am I right? Oh, or am I right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of dealing with the same exact thing. So, but that's obviously, that's got to be a conversation for another day because the listeners have stuck with us this long and they're like, all right, let's talk about the most non-streaming movie of 2022. Yeah. Maybe besides Top Gun Maverick, right? Yeah. Let's talk about Avatar The Way of Water. And we're we're going to talk about this movie the day that it hits Thursday previews. So we really don't know for sure how this movie is performing at the box office. We know the tracking numbers what people are expecting this to make and suffice to say people are expecting this to be another gargantuan release you know maybe not as big as the first avatar but something in that ballpark at least people are expecting and there are some people who are saying if they crunch the numbers a certain way it kind of has to gross some people say at least two billion dollars just to be yep. profitable enough to really make the whole thing worth it I right mean- it's one of the most expensive movies ever made at this point. Yeah. I'm pretty sure James Cameron has said that this has to be like the third or fourth highest grossing film of all time. And there are people who are like, oh, he's exaggerating. I don't think he's exaggerating that much. No, <laughs> and I think we he's... Sh- we should say, right, it's like $2.8 billion is the record at the moment, I forget. Yeah, I mean, there. for as, you know, lofty as his, as his ambitions are and how, like, you know, grandiose he is in terms of advancing and elevating technology and film i think he is also fairly pragmatic about these things and he's like i, I recognize the cost that goes into this yes. and the risk that's going to go into this i think he's, he's a problem known that, solver yeah. he look yeah. it's the way he makes his movies he looks for ways to, he's cost effective but also he will splurge because he prioritizes the experience and the spectacle right so let's talk about it let's talk about avatar the way of water which is uh, the sequel to Avatar from 2009. And this is the latest film from James Cameron. He hasn't made a film since Avatar in 2009. You can understand why he announced pretty early on after the release of that movie, after it went on to become the highest grossing film of all time for about 10 years uh, in a row before Avengers Endgame unseated it briefly, Mm -hmm. but then Avatar was re-released. And then, you know, who's counting, right? Right. I mean, I feel like, like James Cameron, I don't think is in the same pedigree as like someone like Scorsese or Spielberg, but I feel like he is maybe the most event filmmaker we have working right now. Like literally like every movie he makes is an event primarily because they're so few and far between, but also just like yes. they have to be seen on the biggest screens. They have to be seen with a big crowd. You have to be immersed in them. And that's something that, you know, I literally I think no other living filmmaker has their advantage besides James Cameron right now. That's fair to say. I mean, look, in the past almost 30 years, he's only made three movies. And two of them are the biggest films of all time. Like, let's just put that out. Now, a lot of people look at James Cameron and they say, to what you're saying, yeah, he's one of our most prolific event filmmakers. He just knows how to shop a premise to people, get people in the theater. And he does it in a different ways with different movies. You look at something like Aliens and Terminator 2, that was really him in the late 80s and early 90s, redefining how special effects can make a sci-fi movie and two totally different franchises be an experience you have to go to the theater to see, right? Now, look, I, I forget how much The Abyss made. You know, I forget how much True Lies made, right? But if you discount those, I mean, Terminator, Aliens, you know, I I, I forgot. He also made that Piranha movie, but <laughs> I haven't even seen that one. His, uh, I think that was his first movie, if I'm Piranha not mistaken. Piranha 2, yes. Uh, which he got two. fired from, I believe. Okay, okay. But he, had, he did work on it, huh? And uh, The Abyss, I've actually never seen The Abyss, but uh, I have seen the rest of his movies. And 
I would say that that is his skill. He is just somebody who knows how to take an existing franchise in, you know, with Aliens and Terminator 2, those were both sequels, direct sequels. And with Titanic, it wasn't a franchise, but Titanic was a cottage industry. It, it was a, it was something that people knew and understood and were familiar with that story. It was almost sort of like, more of like an IP, I guess, in a very vain sense of the word. And then Avatar is essentially, as people criticized it, it was essentially like not an existing franchise, but it was an existing like movie trope, mix of tropes, a little bit of Pocahontas, a little bit of Dancing with Wolves, something that was very like classic, you know, frontier American movie adapted to sci-fi and space and, and all that goodness that he feels really at home in. And so that right. many people will claim is the secret to his success. He knows how to sell it. Yeah, I mean, that's a kind of funny thing about uh, James Cameron is that he is... Uh, you know, he has these kind of pet interests of his that he explores in some way or another with all these films of his of late. He and loves him he, some water. And mm. he's, you know, kind of a big dork at heart. Like, he's very sincere about the things that he makes. Like, he loves history. He loves water, as you mentioned. He loves, you know, like these weird alien civilizations that uh, interact with humans in ways both good and bad. And, you know, like the future and how society will evolve or devolve with time and how capitalistic pursuits and, you know, imperialism will doom us all. And it's like stuff that, you know, recurs throughout his filmography. And he's very particular. He's very meticulous about these things. But he's also, a populist at heart and i think he knows that like you don't really need to push the needle too far with the stories and characters that he's telling you just have to tell big grand involving sweeping stories with characters that you can feel familiar with and story beats that you recognize but told in a way that you just haven't really seen before and that really warrant the big screen experience and that's something that he is just aced throughout his career and you can you know nitpick his films or uh you know like criticize them for their writing or their dialogue or their cheesiness or whatever but the man the man is effective like he knows what works and he knows how to play audiences you know like a concerto and it's just you know he he's a master in, in this very particular art of his and you just gotta give it to the guy i mean yeah, you, I, do. you, you gotta just, yeah you gotta hand it to him and there even the movies he doesn't direct I think there are two notable examples of movies that he wrote or co-wrote, that being the uh, Rambo, right? First Blood Part 2, and also uh, Alita Battle Angel. Sure. Like, Alita Battle Angel, a movie that should have just hit relative obscurity. I mean, that was a movie that was doomed from the start, Mm -hmm. but it was... I think extremely watchable and, and quite an, quite an interesting experience. I enjoyed the movie quite a bit, I like and it has a extremely an extremely enthusiastic fandom behind it. Because yeah. yeah, to what you're saying, I think he knows how to just appeal to the inner geek in people. I don't know. It it's a it's a very profitable skill for the guy. Uh, I and mean, he, he's done it again and again. Yeah, I mean, he's in this weird sort of like hippie phase of his life where he just he's kind of like a dad who like has like this like project that he's working on in his basement or like a novel he's been writing for years that is just very intricate he put so much thought into the world of it and the characters and the in the environments that they interact in and it's just like it's very bizarre in its own weird way but he just also just seems to know what people want and what they value and crave from a uh, big theatrical experience such as this one and i mean you know i think he's just the type of filmmaker that you just you have to follow him through no matter what he does because he you know he's safe money in the sense that like i don't believe that you know 
every Avatar movie is going to, you know, outgross the next one. I think, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see where uh, three lands and yeah. if, and if four or five. Which they've apparently happen. already shot. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I think it's smart to just let him do his thing. And, you know, I think he's uh, proven himself, as you said, time and time again. So I have absolutely no reason to doubt the man. He's a fascinating guy. And even as somebody who, you know, I don't I don't really love any of his movies. If I had to pick a movie from him that I, you know, that he's directed at least that I like the most, that I think is just the 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 energy that really speaks to me as a person. I mean, I'm kind of a weirdo and I think it's Titanic. I've always had such sure. a soft spot for that movie. I think yeah, some I think people the people who criticize it, I'm like, okay, if you say so, I'm, mm-hmm. I, you know, give me, give me Titanic. I want more. I, every time yeah. I rewatch it, I'm just like, I'm so swept up in it immediately. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that like people poke the story about as much as they want, but like you watch Titanic, you watch Avatar, you're in it. Like, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, like I rewatched that first Avatar movie. I didn't have the 3D this time or the, you know, the big screen experience, but you know, even at home, I'm still able to engage with it. And like I said, just because it's effective, like it, it knows what it needs to do. It moves, it's slick, you know, it, it has great action beats, you know, it, characters who are very broadly drawn, but you know, engage you. And there's obviously very, uh, apparent flaws in that film, but the strengths far, you know, outweigh them. And I'll say, you know, uh, this is not, this is something that I think a lot of people poke at him for his dialogue. I like his dialogue a lot. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. I, I, I think his dialogue is usually pretty good. And I say that unironically, not, not even in a sort of like, oh, I'm laughing at the movie. No, mm-hmm. I, I genuinely think that, I don't know, some, I, I think his dialogue is crisp and effective. Give me a break. I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind that it, it really just depends on the day. I guess, you know, like some <laughs> some days I'm kind of like I'm with it for the coriness of it. Yeah. The very direct uh, way he has characters speak. But then other times it's just like, come on, man. Like you couldn't like hire a dialogue writer. For I this agree. This is not Mad Men. You know, we're not getting sure. We're, you know, we're not getting the, the Bible here, but we're getting right. something. And I like but, it. Uh, uh, speaking of writers, he did, you know, uh, have a writer's room for this film. It's not just, he you did. know. Uh, him uh, by himself, he recognized, and I, I will give him credit for that. He, he recognized, you know, for as big of a film as that first movie was, how massive and acclaimed and award-winning it was. There were very apparent flaws. A lot of it came down to his script. The script itself wasn't even nominated for an Oscar, despite all the other nominations it got. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, "All right, I'm going to hunker down." You know, that, that was part of the, the reason why it took him so dang long to make the sequel uh, or the sequels uh, to come is because he was like, all right, I need a writer's room. I need to kind of like hone these scripts uh, and treat them like, you know, like novellas to come that are going to play out on the big screen. Well, well two uh, things or, on sorry, that. Novels, because not novels. One, uh, one of the reasons is because, and, and again, we could talk about Cameron all day long, I think. There's a lot to talk about. One of the, because we didn't even touch on his documentaries, but he's kept himself pretty busy with the documentary scene past couple decades. That said, I I looked around, I watched some of his interviews just because I was curious about this. I, it's something that I haven't been following the development of Avatar 2 and 3 and all that that closely. I feel like over the last decade, I've just heard, you know, oh, yeah, you know, he's working on it or, oh, they announced this and they're going to stick with it because it was the biggest movie of all time. And there's a whole like theme park dedicated to it in Orlando. So they got to keep going with it. It's franchise, franchise, franchise. But I, I never really like took a close look. And he has said like two of the main reasons is, yeah, he he went to a team of writers and he was they were just like sending him scripts. 
and developing it and tuning it and looking at how they could tell a story over the course of four movies. Because the current plan is to kind of do the Fantastic Beasts, you know, sort of take where it's like a quintology, whatever you call it, and do five movies total. So from the first Avatar to the last, it's supposed to be five movies. And he's basically just dedicated the rest of his filmmaking career to this. And some people looked at that and said, why do that? And I think in his mind, the other reason that it's taken so long is because I think his main interest, this is me speculating, I think he's been waiting for the technology to catch up in a lot of ways. They weren't even able to do a lot of the motion capture, a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie underwater until like a few years ago. They, they shot a lot of this, I think, in like 2018. And then the pandemic is another big disruptor. Uh, he's, he's said many times that like that was something that really, it may, he thought like it, the movie might not actually come out because they were not sure that people would be able to come back or would be willing to come to theaters for this kind of movie. And thanks to things like No Way Home and Top Gun and all that, they've, I think the studio has felt more and more comfortable, you know, this is 20th Century Studios, uh, about bringing this together. But that's some of the backstory. Hopefully that kind of explains for people what's going on here, because I know for me, I was not excited for this movie. And I I kind of went into it really not sure what to expect, honestly. And I think by the time you saw it, you, you probably had there was a little bit more buzz popping off, right? I mean, I was excited. Like I said, I mean, like where James Cameron goes, I'll follow. Like, I mean, I don't like I similar to you in that, like, I, I don't like love all of his movies in the sense that like I, I like the first Avatar. I don't think it's like a, a masterpiece, but I think it's same, really same. solid. Uh, blockbuster entertainment, and I think but I'm you know, gonna see his stuff in the theater. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Gonna. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna miss. Like it. I said, when he makes a movie, it's an event, and I don't mean that lightly. Like it's you know, people uh, you know just feel compelled to see his stuff again, again, again. Uh, I don't know what's gonna happen with this movie. I assume it's gonna be another hit, but we we're gonna find out soon enough. Uh, it's tracking but, to make 500 million, around 500 million yeah. worldwide. Which mm-hmm. is not far below, I think, what Avengers Endgame made its opening weekend. I think yeah. that was like 600, 650 million, I want to say. Right. But I mean, yeah, to your credit, I mean, like, I think, I, I don't think this was a deliberate play in, in the uh, broad sense, but like, I, I do think the weight is kind of making it uh, more impactful in the sense that, like, there is that nostalgia built in where it's like, okay, now avatar is something you kind of like think back on it's like oh yeah i remember that time obama was president things were simpler <laughs> you know i you know i i didn't have like, life wasn't complicated i can go back to pandora and that's the other thing too is that i mean it's just such a you know it, it's um like such an immersive experience in that like part of the reason why uh you know very much people complain about the characters and stuff in that movie it, it's meant to be like you're kind of you know being an avatar quite literally into this world and like getting immersed in this in this environment that's so fully realized and so thought through and so inviting and and you know beautifully rendered and uh you know the idea of like it's something you love from before, but now it's been elevated and there's new stuff in it, but also that stuff you love from before and it's coming back and it's bigger and, and better than ever uh, is I think an undeniable draw. And uh, I think that's going to pay out uh, so long as the film is good, but is the yeah. film good? That's the <laughs> well, question. The, the, and, so, and again, I, I, I hate to do this where there's so much setup, right? We're just, you know, set up setting up and setting up, but got to also mention one of the key things that brought people to the theater for the first Avatar, we've already touched on it, was the 3D. It was the real D 3D. It was something that people felt compelled to go see it in the theater because they had never seen anything like it. And after they had watched it, they knew 
that they probably wouldn't see anything again like this, at least not anytime soon. So they went back, repeated showtimes. And those ticket prices added up, obviously. And that's what people are expecting for this movie, too, because the technology is I compared it when I saw the movie to it's like the first time you watch something on like an OLED 5K TV. And you're like, whoa, I, I didn't know like a picture could look like that. And it's really just like, you know, it, it's really stunning when you first see it. And then, of course, if, you know, the content does its job, then you kind of get sucked in. Right. And I think this movie, uh, Avatar The Way of Water, is another sort of like step forward in that regard. It kind of takes that existing 3D technology and it takes it another step further. And I'm sure we'll talk about. But the other thing yeah. that we kind of have to caveat this with before we get into the tech, you know, I know you want to geek out. I do, too. Sure. One of the thing, weird things about this is not that many, there wasn't a lot of merchandising. It's not a movie that has stayed in like the pop culture, you know, lexicon as significantly as a lot of other things. They didn't really yeah. mine it that much. There hasn't been, it's not like Star Wars. Like there right. haven't been like spinoffs. There haven't been TV shows. There was like a video game that like nobody played. There haven't been a ton of books or anything. There have been that one group of friends in, you know, that uh, TV How show. How to with John How Wilson. How to yeah. with John Wilson. As, uh, uh, yeah, I mentioned once before. They've been holding down the fort. Yes. You know, like they've just, they've been, they've been holding on to this franchise for us, watching, looking after it, you know, babysitting it while we were right. just off doing our own thing. But I mean, part of that is just because it's just been gone from theaters. But then, like, when it came back earlier this year, like, it made, what, like, $75 million extra dollars, that first movie? Right, because like, to a lot of people, especially in other countries, a lot of people in America don't, don't get this, and I brought this up before, this movie was a huge, huge pop cultural phenomenon yeah. and still is in Asia, yeah. especially China, also Japan to a large extent, because, especially in China, because China opened up Avatar at a time, it was the perfect timing for when the Chinese government started letting people actually like watch stuff from like western you know filmmakers and avatar is star wars to a lot of people over there for us a lot of you know we were a little bit like ah, okay i've kind of seen this before but there were a lot of people in china who were just like blown away by this movie and i think that this is going to be like their star wars force awakens i think this thing is going to crush over there oh sure yeah i mean and that's i mean that's kind of the, the reason why it's been kind of funny to see all these responses and think pieces throughout the years where people are just like do we need Avatar to like, and not even yeah, that yeah. like you can't even this, like, name a character from the movie, whatever. Yeah, but also <laughs> okay. like the idea that like you know the highest grossing film ever made, and not like by a fluke. Like people went back and, and, and again and again and again. They were just like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, is is there a place where this is gonna make money? And it's just like. The, the highest grossing film of all time i don't know there's certainly a chance uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't i don't see why you would doubt against it bet against it but okay i mean if the movie stinks but i right. mean i think they knew that they had something here right and they had to get it right because otherwise you're squandering you know a big money maker and i think tying all the way back to my original point i think james cameron wants to use these movies to revolutionize filmmaking i think that he's looking for ways to make to like that, I, I think that's what he wants his legacy to be to some extent. To essentially like also right the wrongs of how 3D was bastardized by so many studios after Avatar, sort of chasing the trend and trying to convert movies that weren't shot in 3D to 3D in order to make money, in order to like bring people back to the theater thinking they'd get an Avatar experience. And truly, like they they kind of messed it up for everybody yeah. because then well, who uh -huh. you know people stopped going to 3D movies as much. Yeah, and it's funny because like he even went like 
no, 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 you guys do it like this. And he did with his own movie with Titanic. And they still didn't learn the lessons like they're like, right, right. you know. Yeah. But he was like, I tried to teach you guys. If you're going to do this, do it like this. And, you know, it didn't work out. So, you know, but I guess that was inevitable. So let's talk about Avatar, the way of water. <laughs> I know that was a lot of setup. But hey, look, this is like a three hour, three hour and 12 minute movie. So what do you expect? Um, you know, what's interesting too, about this movie, I mentioned Star Wars, the force awakens, but it's not really like a legacy sequel, legacy sequel, anything like that at all. It's just a sequel and it, it takes place a, a little over a decade later, right? It It's picking up almost in real time. I think more time has passed than 12, 13 years because some of these characters who weren't born yet are, I think a little bit older. I think they're like 16, 17, but it's like similar enough, right? Like it feels like time has passed in both contexts. And we are really following the characters from the first avatar who survived at least and their families and how they've sort of changed, how the world has, a lot of things have changed. A lot of things have stayed the same. So we still have Jake Sully played by Sam Worthington. I think, Will, you announced on every social media channel that Hollywood has Sam Worthington fever, right? America is. I I saw I him on like Jimmy Fallon in a couple oh, of he, spots, and was he? I I haven't seen a single piece of like advertising. He's happy with to be here, Will. I, I think you'll it. be pleased to hear. I don't. I just think it's so funny that like the star of the the highest grossing film of all time is technically back. It's like what's he really been doing the past five years or so? And like I just haven't heard a peep about him. You know, and even part in of the, the yeah. late night interviews, he's just sort of like, "Yeah, I grew a beard during COVID, and that's it." <laughs> like, oh, really? That's that's all they've really been talking about with what he's been up to. I mean, he did like the Clash yeah. of the Titans movie and some I guess, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so Miss Aldana were, uh, is the one who has been yeah. like busy. Yeah. Yeah, and she. Is, I mean, she is a golden ticket in terms like if you are at a casino, like go with mm-hmm. Zoe Saldana because is, she has like the. Un- most unbelievable luck as a I mean, as an actress is she technically like the highest grossing working actress right now i don't know if that's the case but i mean, I mean she like, is attached like, to the right. two biggest two biggest movies of all time possibly yes. could be the top three of all time because yeah. of avengers endgame and obviously this movie mm-hmm. and she was in that same year as avatar star trek which is right. also like a, a huge huge movie right yeah. and so, uh, yeah. pirates of caribbean man you can't forget that and she was, yeah, I know, right? but she, yeah, she was like a pretty much an unknown when the first Avatar came out. She hadn't done a lot. Um, um well, I mean, you know, Crossroads with Britney Spears. When what year was that? <laughs> was she already cast in Avatar by then, though? Because they were working no. on that pretty early on. Uh, no, but you know, I, 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 I kind of half kid, but I mean, I think she was working i just think yeah that she was working. she wasn't she wasn't she like was a not a household name, name like yeah. she is now i mean i don't know if she's still a household name necessarily but she's very well known people are like oh, yeah, gamora i love yeah. gamora hi i mean guardian what was it like i can't think of any other like major star vehicles for her other than like columbiana and that was like you know 10 years ago yeah they didn't quite work out. i mean i think she took a little bit of a break from acting if i'm not mistaken because she had had kids and um i think uh w- let's see because she did she did Adam Project. We just saw her in that. That movie you really liked, that you loved? Adam Project with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, man. That might be my <laughs> least favorite movie of the year. I mean, yeah. I mean, she was she was part of, obviously, the the two Guardians movies, the Avengers movie. The There were two Star Trek sequels. I think, like, she... Columbiana. Wasn't she also in uh, The Losers? She was, yeah. Okay, so... I, I forget what else. I think I think she was busy and like she was doing like smaller stuff around there too. But mainly, uh, he's been pretty busy with uh, sure. the Marvel stuff, Marvel and Star Trek. 
Yeah. And Avatar now. And now this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe Avatar 3 and 4. Well, we won't give it away because we don't know, right, what happens in this movie. But, uh, yeah, we won't, be give, we won't be spoiling nothing. But, yeah, so Sam Worthington is back. Zoe Saldana is back. Sigourney Weaver is back. Now, Sigourney Weaver's character died in the first movie, but they found a way to kind of bring her back through, basically, like, they kind of did the Phantom Menace thing. What's that about? Can you explain that to me? Because I think they explained it in the movie and I didn't, I couldn't follow. Like, uh, well, like they like, kind of took her genes, Grace's genes and like produced a, a, uh, I don't think they produced it. I think they said that it was an immaculate conception. She just had like a baby. Yeah. And this, by the way, we're not giving stuff away. This is explained yeah. in like the, the opening well, there's, voiceover. There's some, uh, some Christ allegories in this film. I'll definitely tell you that. There are. There are, and I, you know, I, I look at it, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing like a Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, where I'm looking up at the crucifix, and yeah, I'm being like, okay. I mean, the funny thing about that is that yeah, you have like these kind of you know mythicism and uh, religious allegories and stuff, but I also feel like this film does lean a little bit more into the sci-fi ness of it, at least as far as like as a, a genre. Do you agree or disagree? It's a little bit more quirky, and I think that one thing I noticed, and, and look, I've only seen the first Avatar twice, and I haven't seen it, rewatched it as recently as you have. Last time I saw it was on cable in 2012, right? So it's been a the way while. that uh, camera one juicy, of course. Exactly. I watched it on my like Shrek TV. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I watched it, of course, originally in theaters, uh, you know, on the, with the 3d and everything, but, uh, I, I, I gotta say, like, I was able to keep up with it because I remembered the beats, like it's, it's not that complicated. Now there were some things I kind of forgot that I was reminded of in the opening narration where I was like, oh yeah, that's how that works. You know, the neural link. And I'd forgotten they use the tails, their tails to basically like, you know, mind, take over creatures just kind of forget that (laughs) i don't know i mean i've been busy it's been a decade sure but uh you know well it came back to me i was like oh yeah okay all right you know there are some choice things i remember i remember that he like loses his human body and becomes a navi because of the spirit tree or whatever i remember that they're navi i didn't remember their names but you know that's fine that's cool Uh, and i still when I was Nigeria. writing my review, Will, I was like, what were their names again? I couldn't really, like, I didn't Jake know what they were Sully, saying. Jake Sully, Natiri. Jake Sully, uh, I remember, but like Natiri, I was like, the way they say it, I'm, I am deaf. And that's part of it. I'm just okay. like, Natiri. And then I thought her name, the Sigourney Weaver character's name was Kitty. Apparently it was Kiri. Uh, took. It did I sound do like, Took. It did sound like Kitty. I, I will give you that. I thought the oldest son was Mateo. <laughs> I, was I did off. have, uh, I, I have some comments about the sons and I don't know if I should voice them now or uh, talk, talk about it later when you actually, uh, you know, give the synopsis for this film. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, but yeah, so the, the setup is that it's been, uh, many, many years since the first movie, some, something 10 to 15 to 20 years, who knows. And if you remember in the first avatar, they were able to, the Navi, they were able to successfully drive away the humans uh, and prevent them from destroying the spirit tree or whatever it was. And eventually the, uh, the main characters, uh, Jake and Natiri, Natiri played by Zoe Saldana, Jake played by Sam Worthington. They got married and they had babies uh two older sons and a young daughter they also adopted the sigourney weaver sort of like teenage character um because she was kind of born randomly and no one knew how yeah uh, so they took her in and then also they have like their goofy neighbor kid who is a uh, spider spider played by jake champion yes. and he's a human who you know 
he wants to be Navi. He hangs out with the Navi all the time, speaks their language, dresses like them, but he's human, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and we find out that he is the son of the colonel from the first movie when he was just a baby when his dad was killed, but he, he didn't care. He's just like, yeah, my dad sucked. And so he hangs out with the Navi and he's a regular old, regular old little schmuck. Um, so, oh, yeah. wow. All right. Harsh words for Spider here. Is schmuck a mean word? I, I don't mean it in a mean way. I mean, I'm thinking like dinner for schmucks. Like, I don't a, know. like a tot. You know, he's, he's, a little like a little, eh, he's a little goofball. He's a little bit, yeah. he's like our like centrist, you know, like he's a little okay. bit like he uh, straddles the fence at, at certain points in this movie. I don't know. Here's my um, thing about Spider. Yeah, I yeah. think he looks like a Yazfied version of John Travolta's character from Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I did think of Battlefield Earth. <laughs> I'm surprised you did too. Wait, because he's got the weird dreads and then he's also like naked for most of this movie and I was a little uncomfortable, but you know, I was like, all right, well, you know, I mean, the Lloyd the story, so, yeah. not like, you know. He's not running around with his little took us out, but I get what you mean. I mean, you see most of it. But anyway, uh, the the basic plot, though, is that the Navi are at war once again with the humans. The humans have kind of come back, and they're trying to take over again. And this time, though, Jake Sully, he's feeling like, this is too much. You know, I, I'm too scared to lose my family. I have, I've done the good fight. I fought the good fight. I did what I was supposed to do. I'm going to, you know, retire, you know, I'm going to do what James Cameron did. Like he says that in the movie. He's like, you know what? James Cameron was able to just stop making movies. Right. And so Jake takes his family and is like, kids get in the van. We're going, we're going to the beach. And that's basically the plot to go to this other Navi tribe that they're, they're sea people because the Navi are like forest people. You know, they're, they have evolved and adapted so they can climb trees and do all that good stuff. But they go to basically hide out and seek refuge with the seafaring Navi, who then, of course, have to teach them, you know, here's how you talk to whales. Here's how you hold your breath underwater. Have fun. And that's most of the movie. And a lot of it is like we're we're really not with Jake that much. Like Jake's in it. He's doing stuff. But he's more of the mentor character. He's more of a background kind of character. He drives the plot in some ways. But we're mainly following the kids. You know, we're mainly following Kitty, Carrie, whatever you say. Uh, and sort of her sort of spiritual awakening, figure out who she is. We follow a lot of the second son, and uh, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm going to look it up here. But the second son is, if I can find the actor, and I don't see it immediately. Okay, here we go. Britton Dalton is the actor. The character's name is Loak, something like that. And he's kind of the rebellious son. You know, he's a little bit like, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't even like you, dad. I don't even want to be in this family. Um, but he, you know, he kind of deals with a lot of the schoolyard. He, do, he has like a little bit of like a crush on the girl next door, the Navi next door. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's got a couple bully characters who are bullying him around and all that. Uh, that's a lot of this movie, a little bit of coming of age, a little bit more of like, a, you know, an overprotective dad trying to do right by his kids. And that that's kind of it. I mean, it's, it's it's not like Dances with Wolves was kind of like hanging over the first movie where it doesn't have that direct of a reference, but it is essentially like a carbon copy of many coming of age family dramas that we've seen, though obviously with all the sci-fi sure. and three D spectacle stuff. And you got like Princess Mononoke in there and a few other things. Like yeah, you lots can, of anime you can inspirations. Those. A lot sure. of yeah, a lot of Studio Ghibli. A lot of yeah, Miyazaki. Yeah, sure. Now, in terms, there, there are two things about this movie: the story. And the the visuals. Those those are the two things people are talking about the most. Not, not, not that many people I've seen talk about the, the music. Not that, many, not that many people have been talking about, you know, a lot of the actual, I mean, nuts and bolts of this thing. Besides, I think, the visuals of it. Uh, the first question I have for you, though, Will, because this has been a point of contention that I feel like I'm on, oh. in some cases, the wrong side of. Who knows? You're going to ask about 
the 48 FPS, yeah, aren't you? Yeah. So yeah. this is so most movies are shot in 24. Yes. 24 frames per second. And, and the reason is because we we don't talk we haven't talked about this much, but the reason sure. for that is because even on digital, you want there to be some kind of motion blur. It, it's something that really helps with the immersion of film. It's what separates film from like a video on your iPhone, right? And it's just a trick of the trade, you know? Uh, even films that are shot digitally, they do things to it to make it look closer to what a film would look like. They, they want to do that because there, there's a charm to it, right? Uh, in a lot of cases. Now, this movie is in 48 frames per second. So it has what a lot of people call like motion smoothing. It moves a lot like if you're watching or playing a video game, for example, on like a really, really nice TV, where if you're watching network TV on like a like a very high spec you know, HDR, you know, QLED, like that kind of thing, you are going to get like really deep, crisp colors. And also it, it's not just going to be like, uh, like we have the 3D of it is one thing, but then you also have like the objects in them. It is extremely lifelike in a lot of cases. Like it's, it's, it's sort of moving the way the person actually moves. A lot of people find it off, off-putting. Uh, a lot of people find it to be uh, headache inducing. I, Love it. I think it looks really cool. I think that in a lot of cases, it would not look very cool because it wouldn't be on a strange alien planet. But I think because we are on a strange alien planet, I love the immersion of it. I love how it sucks me in to this otherworldly place. And I think it really matches. But a lot of people disagree with this. A lot of people are like, don't watch it in high frame. A lot of people are saying like, if you have an opportunity to see it on like the regular, and a lot of theaters do have that as an option, people are recommending against it. I say... Give it a chance. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Get, you know, go see the regular if you got it. But I think that it's so unique and unusual and it's something you've never seen before. I say take the risk. But what do you say? I, well, here's my stance on it. Because uh, the movie kind of switches, right? Like some scenes are in like that 24 is true. and some go in the 48. Yes. I, I, I found that a little jarring. To be fair, to be fair. I found it seamless. There were only like uh, a handful of, of sequences where I did notice it like too much. And it was more toward the end. And I felt like, oh, they probably just oh, didn't have time with it. See, I was more adjusted to it by the end. The beginning I found very jarring with the 48 FPS. I will beginning, say I was my job was on the floor. I probably just didn't sure. notice. Um, I will say for all the underwater stuff, I think the 48 FPS works beautifully. Like, I don't know if it's just because, like, the the way the water is shown or if it's just because it just fits that environment a little bit more. But I was totally hooked with it whenever they were doing, like, the little swimming underwater and stuff. I thought it looked fantastic. Um, I was also keen on it whenever there were, like, action scenes and, like, bullets are flying towards the screen or arrows are shooting by. I thought it, like, quickened the action in a really compelling way. It made the stakes a lot more heightened. Yeah. It showed the danger of the characters. It made me feel like, you know, things are very, you know, perilous while they were happening. Uh, I could really do without it otherwise. Yeah, and we that's just my take. I say, for uh, me, I, w- I don't want to say it makes the movie, but I think I would have sorely missed it. And I don't think I would have liked this movie as much as I did. And I liked it. I, the, I, I, we haven't even said it, but like, I'm not in love with this movie or anything, but I thought it was a really fun experience. And I'm going to go see it again next week uh, because I want to see it again. It was a feast. I mean, uh, well, to answer initially, I mean, to, before I get into my thoughts on the film, I will say for the 48 FPS, I would suggest because you gave your little recommendation. Uh, if you know you're going to see the movie twice, I'd say first time watch it in 24 if you can watch it in that way. 
then go and watch the 48. I disagree. I think you should switch it. Okay. I think you I should do. I think you should go for the I, high frame rate first. I would have rather have watched the movie entirely in 24 first, just to get involved with the stories and the characters. And then if I were to watch it again, watch it in 48 and see how that experience would have compared to the first. We disagree, but listeners, it's up to you. It is your yeah. decision. The choice is yours. Yeah. Do let us know. I, please, please, people, let it like write in and let us know what you decide to do and how it turns out because I really want to know. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, that's just how I felt. I mean, you know, that's just my personal experience, though I will say it seems like you have a lot more uh, history with the 48 FPS. I don't. Like, I'm just not used to that. I, I guess I'm not as accustomed to that as maybe you are. So I don't know if that I don't checkers. know if I am. I mean, I didn't even watch the Hobbit movies. Wasn't that the last, like, high-profile one that did I like saw that? that one in 24. Likewise, that was my experience with um, uh, Billy Lynn. I, I only saw that at home. In yeah, the see, I didn't see that movie, so. Yeah. Uh, we did Those see Gemini you... Man. Je- I did see Gemini Man in that, like, up. Okay, I, again, saw that in 24, so I didn't see okay. the 48 FPS for that one. I think didn't... I saw it in 48. I mean, it, it's been a while. I mean, the big thing I remember about that movie is that, like, they said, like, I think, like, three to five theaters in the U.S. were showing it the way it was meant to be seen, which is like the that might be IMAX it actually. 3D, so then I might have just seen it. Yeah, yeah I might have just seen it in twenty four. Then, okay, yeah, it hasn't been done uh, that often. We should say, yeah. Uh, okay, I was kind of surprised that my screening showed it that way. I, I thought it may not, given I thought it would be more of an exclusivity kind of thing i don't know how it uh, is everywhere but you know yeah they did it for our screening as well i was yeah, looking I mean, at like how the tickets are going for in san francisco and most places it's like the main thing like a lot of if you're using different apps it might be different but i i see a lot of like okay this is in 3d and it has a high frame rate so they are listing a lot of that stuff depending on where you go but mo i think the regal close to me only has it in the high frame rate. I don't think you can even watch it unless it's standard. And then it's not, you can't watch it in the 3d and, you know, without the high frame rate. I think you have to okay. watch in high frame rate for 3d at that theater. Okay. So I don't know how prevalent that is. Yeah. I'm not really sure to be honest. Uh, and I should preface, I saw this movie in Dolby 3d. That was the way my screening, uh, Same was here. present. Yeah. So yeah, it was an AMC Dolby house. Yeah. And, uh, it was the real D 3d, and I wish we had, I was kind of bummed because this was at the AMC Metreon in San Francisco. And a lot of the time they've, they've put us in the IMAX theater for big stuff like this, like tragedy to Macbeth, you know, that was in an IMAX screen. I was like, man, I can't believe we couldn't. And I think it was because that particular IMAX screen, I don't know if it has the, the real D sort of uh, mm. functionality that they didn't need. What I'm I don't thinking. know. Yeah. Because, uh, when I had a screening for Wakanda forever, they should in the IMAX, which is really a IMAX, but it, the equivalent of an IMAX. Oh, yeah. The one I'm talking about is a IMAX that I did see it in. But this was a real IMAX that I was hoping. Like the kind, like Tragedy Macbeth and Thor Love and Thunder, I saw that also. And like for real, like takes up an entire skyscraper side of a building kind of thing. Um, I don't know why I can't describe that more accurately. But anyway, uh, okay. One of these days I'm going to ask, like, how big is that screen? Because I don't actually know. I want to know. All right. So what are your thoughts on Avatar The Way of Water? Will Ashton, do you think... Mm-hmm. That it finds its way? Yeah. I mean, I'm only like, what, like an hour into this episode. <laughs> Might as well share how I feel about this movie. Um, yeah, I was a fan. That'll do it for our review of yeah. Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Yeah, there you go. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess my expectations were certainly a lot higher than yours in the sense of like, like you were saying, like I, I didn't walk away from that first Avatar movie like through the roof 
like this is the most amazing experience ever. I really was taken by it. I was like, I'm really glad I went out of my way to see this in IMAX. And, and in you watched 3D. the trailer for the new one, right? For this one? Yeah. Yeah, I saw the trailer. And it, okay. the teaser is gorgeous. I mean, I think the teaser got me hyped up again. I'm like, yes, I'm going back to Pandora, baby. It's 13 years. Let's go. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, excited, but also a little like cautiously optimistic. I'm like, I, I, I feel confident that Jim Cameron's going to do this, but I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if he can, you know, I, I can't say for certain it's going to happen, but I'm going to follow him, you know, to the ends of the earth and see what's going to happen. Uh, and, or at the ends of Pandora, I should say. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I found it to be an incredible theatrical experience, but also I think, I don't know if I would say this is better or worse than the first one. I'm still kind of mollying over because I do. I like the efficiency, like I said, of that first movie. I like how it's more streamlined. I like that that movie, it's a little bit easier to kind of connect with it. Like you said, no matter if you're watching it at home or on the big screen, I think you can really just get involved with that story in a way that this one, it's a lot more, uh, you know, open-ended in the sense of like there's more characters there's a lot more going on it's not quite as contained as that first movie and as a result there's some things like i think that gets under service by the story extremely uh, so yeah. one of my major major criticisms and i feel like that's a big hindrance for this film is that like i i think zoe saldana is still bringing it i think she was the best performance of that first movie and i think she's fantastic in this film as well but i just feel like the story is just like so jake sully's focus and to be clear like i actually think and i don't know how you're gonna feel about this but i think sam worthington you know as much as for as much as i was goofing on the guy i think he really stepped up his game i think he, yeah. he gave a good performance in this movie i think he you know good, honed his craft for him yeah and i think he like gave a pretty nuanced uh you know uh performance here and i think he you know gave a really layered grounded mature performance in a way that i felt like really you know, I, I wasn't goofing on the guy. I was like, okay, this is like, you know, a good good performance from you, dude. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. Um, and I like the yeah, like it, it's a lot more layered as far as like you know, it's very heavily about the fatherhood of characters, not solely related to Jake Sully, but we yeah, we see with the colonel, we see that with um, uh, the other leader. I forget the guy's yeah, name. Yeah, Cliff but his, Curtis plays. His, his uh, we didn't mention the yeah. leader of the. They're called the Reef People, mm -hmm. and I, I got to be honest, I didn't know until after the movie that that was kate winslet <laughs> playing oh, really? his wife I, knew, yeah. Yeah. I had no idea i mean it, it's motion cap and i i didn't know that was cliff curtis either i and i oh, saw right. the credits i was like oh okay hey kate hi but i mean i think what's saying about like legacy and history and honoring your elders but forging your own path is not you know revolutionary but i think it, it is a little bit more uh involved and a little bit more willing to be complex in a way that i feel like cameron is really taking the right lessons from the criticisms of that first movie and producing something that feels a lot more organic and open-ended and like i do think that this movie does really advance that kind of uncanny valley thing where like you are watching in your brain you know that like 85 to 90 percent of what you're seeing is computer generated but the the ability to like make it feel really real and tangible is out of this world incredible in this film and i don't know if that's going to age well with time but in the moment in the now it just feels like the closest we've come to like being transported to a new place and that's i mean clear very clearly the goal here with james cameron i think he in that respect really succeeds and then some yeah and i think the the world building here to what you're saying if you compare it again to video games there are video games that have open worlds where you can go anywhere right but they don't feel real. They don't feel like you are that immersed. It just feels like a lot of empty space. And so there can be a lot of CG animated films. And in this case, it's obviously a hybrid, but they can sort of feel a little bit like 
most of this world I can't really get sucked into. That was like my main thing with some of those animated CG films like Vivo and Wish Dragon, the, the ones that were made for a little bit cheaper that they had nice stories, but like I just I, the worlds just didn't have that same texture, you know, they just didn't have that same vibrancy. And in video games, you have stuff like that, too. I think that like, you know, but then you get something like Elden Ring, which is just, you know, a movie that or sorry, a game that is just dripping with world everywhere you go. Every inch of it is just considered. And I think that this is that kind of equivalent sort of thing where I think Pandora is such a well thought out world. I think the story here, I think the messages are are nice. I think that they are serviceable. I think there is something to it that kind of hit me a certain way. Like, I'm not a dad, okay? Just got married. Slow down, Will. I know you're, you're chomping at the bit. But I know for me, this idea of like when you're parenting and you just, you want to protect your kids from the harsh realities of the world, you know, the scary things that are going on, even as somebody who can't directly relate with that, I was feeling for Jake Sully in those moments. And I was I was feeling like that real conflict between him and Neytiri of how to best address the situation because she is a warrior at heart. She doesn't want to leave her home. You know, she doesn't want to do all that, but she also, you know, kind of respects and she, I think, like talks to him and, and actually they have like conversations that feel real to me, you know? And I do think there are times though when her character does behave in ways where I'm like, well, I, it just doesn't seem like the same Natiri from the first movie, but again, it's been a while. And so, the, and there were big chunks of this movie that I think that something kind of went wrong with the script. And, and I think that's my major criticism against it. On the one hand, I was not sort of feeling the runtime here. I was not sort of feeling like, when is this going to end? But I did just sort of, I noticed the editing a lot. I, I was thinking a lot about like, oh, they chose to do this scene or they chose this scene to be 20 minutes long or whatever. And where's Spider? Like, when are we going to get back to Spider? I was outside this movie a lot. And it's kind of remarkable that I wasn't, usually when I'm outside of a movie like that, I'm not sort of liking it that much. In this case, I was liking it though. I was still kind of sucked in into what you were saying. I wanted to know more about what was going to happen next. I wanted to get to the expected bombastic finale. And I kind of like the weirdness of this movie. I like the whales. I like that he went from like save the rainforest to save oh, the man. whales. I, I like it. love the whales. The whales were nice. And I saw some people making fun of the whales and I got upset. Like, don't make fun of the whales. They're the, probably like He's, my favorite characters in this. The whales, they write their own songs. They get their own <laughs> subtitles. What do you not like about this? <laughs> I like that they were checking in with their friends and being like, how's your baby? Uh, yeah. Like, I loved it. I could have watched... Like, <laughs> give the whales more four hours time. of that. I, I could have watched more, so much of the, you know, <laughs> the Navi and... Uh, well, I guess not technically the Navi, but like, you know, yeah. uh, alien uh, whale interaction. I thought was fantastic. I loved that. And that feels like more sci-fi to me. Like, that feels like more like just yes. like characters living in the moment having like interactions in a way that just like you're just in this world now and this is like what they do and this is how they interact and this is their relationship to nature and animals and all that and yeah i like that a lot but like that's the thing it's like even though the editing is way off and in a lot of cases big chunks of this movie where we barely see what's going on with jake Sully, we barely see what's going on with natiri i wanted more of them i was like if this is gonna be three hours long how come we're not getting more sort of like how are they adjusting to things most of the time we are in this like reef area it's more about the kids and i kind of get it like we already sort of got that with jake Sully. he already has gone in that kind of story arc so like what do you even do next but it, it, it did feel a little weird to me a little it felt a little bit like those characters weren't as well rounded to me and and uh, I was kind of missing that. But the nice thing is I liked the kids. They were nice. They weren't annoying. Like they weren't that great, but they didn't annoy me that much. 
And and Loak, ooh, mm. he almost had me. He was almost like I was really thinking, I was like, ooh, you're an annoying kid. Just shut up. Stop doing anything. Sure. But he wins you over. He won me over. I don't know about you, but like I think he Cameron finds that even in the most rebellious teenagers who have something to prove and they make dumb decisions, sometimes people make dumb decisions, but it is rooted in a character trait that is really relatable. And I think he found that for this character. And I think it's what saves ultimately the story for me because, yeah, he's a rebellious little loser. He's a schmuck, uh, as I said before, but he genuinely cares. And I think he cares about other people. And there was something to his character that was kind of surprised me based on the direction it was going in. Again, it's not that original, but I do think that it gets the job done. But are we going to talk? Are, are you going to are you going to uh, get to uh, Loak's uh, hate club? Like, what are we doing? No, I mean, uh, you know, for as much as this movie is about sons and fatherhood and all that, I think the performance that actually really stood out to me was Sigourney Weaver's. And I, I don't know if that was just because I didn't really know what to expect. She's my favorite in the family. Uh, Every time she was doing something among the kids, I was yeah. like, she's the coolest. Like, she's, she's most the, interesting to me. The Lisa Simpson of the family in space. It, it was just, you know. <laughs> She's uh, what's not the like? Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I was really worried that it was going to be like goofy or off putting and, and maybe in a lesser performer it would have, but I don't know. I was I worried like, they were going to do too much, a bunch of love triangle stuff with her and spider. And I, yeah. and I'm glad they didn't really go down that road, but I really enjoyed all that stuff. Um, you know, the little one, uh, I liked that. It was just like, Took. you know, yeah. Took was just being sassy and like, just like, I'm here too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was nice. Uh, um, Trinity Jolie bliss is the, the actress who played Tuck. Yeah. I'm cool with the sons. And this is, I think where we're going to maybe disagree is that I think they need to do just a smidge more to differentiate the two. Cause when I was I watching, was, the movie, I was feeling that I, I a hundred percent. I was like, I can't, okay. I, I don't know if they just need to like change the body type or something. They're just like they're so. I mean, one has like a mohawk and one doesn't. I think. I guess if I'm remembering correctly. Well, eventually, I think eventually you start to get it. Mainly by like their voices and then, but it, it takes right. time. Yeah, that's what I mean. It just, I just, you just need to do a little bit more to differentiate them just because like there'll be some scenes where it's like oh wait no that's the older one oh wait no that's the younger yeah, one yeah exactly um, I 100% agree with you yeah. uh, Jamie Flatters plays the older son Natam that's the one who I thought was Mateo uh, that's what it sounds like to me and he's a little bit more of a blank slate. He's like the perfect son, you know, and there's obviously like the conflict where he wants to be like his dad but he has to look out for his younger brother and you know they kind of resent each other a little bit you know interesting stuff there I get it I'm sure. Are you the Nateam in your family, Will? Because you have your younger brother, and he's just a rebel without a cause. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But that's um, why he hasn't been on Cinemaholics. He's just too busy saving the whales. Sure. There you go. Um, but no, I mean, I think mean, I was cool with the family stuff. I I really want to know more about how you feel about the Stephen Lang stuff. It's fine. I don't okay, know. I, I love I'm, it. I mean, man. Sure. Uh, why not? I like that. You know, because like I think. Stephen Lang serves his purpose in that first movie. Like yeah. he's just like he's corporate, you know, you know, Colonel Badass in that first movie. And, and I, I'm trying like, to. Be, I've been careful a little bit of like how to much to reveal that because I don't know how much the trailer gets into it or shows him. But uh, yeah. The trailer shows. I mean, like you know, he. It's safe to say that like he his uh, consciousness gets transported into a Navi, yeah, which yeah. was you know kind of speculated already. I guess you know like given that he was coming back it's like well how's that gonna work because he clearly died and i think i heard that he's like in the trailer like you see him you, they oh, don't man. like make a point of it necessarily yeah. but you see like his, a character who kind of yeah his most badass moment in this movie is in the trailer which is him holding his human skull 
looking at it, you know, like, you know, King Lear or something and then crushing it. That's <laughs> such a fucking, or sorry, that's such a, a metal moment. Uh, it's so amazing. I And there's just like badass moments like that throughout this movie, man. And Cameron knows how to do the iconography. He does. He does. Uh, the gunfights I was feeling that you already mentioned, the the 3D works so well with the action here where I was feeling, you know, a little bit like, remember like the old 3D stuff, like somebody would have like a paddle ball or something and the ball would come at you and you'd be like, oh my God. Like they kind of do talking, that here, uh, but with bullets. Yeah. Uh, you're talking like the Spy Kids 3D route. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And, but the, and, and the 80s, they had that too, right? But like the, um, the, the mechanical crab people underwater, they like reach out and I'm just like, oh no, watch out, you know? And like, I, I felt like I was going to get splish splashed at certain points of the movie. I was, I had a hard time. I was holding my breath at certain points of the movie. It's like, when, when get up for air. But yeah, I had fun. I had fun at this movie. That's what it comes down to. And I think a lot of people are going to have fun. I think it's going to make $11 billion. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, for as much, you can kind of give or take the story. I just really enjoyed being in this movie, you know what I mean? I just like really enjoyed just immersing myself in this world and these characters, like I said, especially the underwater stuff, but just in general, just like, I mean, just vibing with the movie, I feel like was like, especially in the middle segment was just bliss. It was just like, yeah, yeah. I'm just digging this. I just like, you know, being, you know, kind of transported into this world that like, clearly Cameron has thought about so much for you know, like a decade and a half at this point, longer than that, honestly. Uh, and just like, you know, just living in it and just being fully like, you know, just immersed in the spectacle and the the thoughtfulness and the creativity of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be kind of key to why this movie, I presume, is going to have that returning investment is that people just want to kind of like go back and experience that just like the, that uh, support group and John Wilson. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I did think about them and I was just like, these guys they're gonna feast this weekend they don't even know what's coming like they're gonna be in the splendors of <laughs> of uh, I mean, as Pandora. We record this, they're probably yeah. watching it for their set like the second time i mean <laughs> uh, i mean i think uh i because i think they have a twitter account and i think they they saw like a premiere or something so i'm, I'm excited oh, for them to see nice. it second third fourth fifth time i i can't imagine how many times they're gonna see this thing and i hope <laughs> and i hope they they love it even more in the first movie same here same here and i'm sure like them and many other people, they're going to be wondering what Avatar 3 is going to be about because, yeah, I mean, obviously this movie does not end the franchise. You already mentioned earlier that this is not as contained as the first movie. It's not standalone. It It is sort of like, okay, we got more movies to make. You know, there's some characters who show up here and, you know, I think we're going to be seeing more of them, you know, and I won't give anything away and you know, I won't bring up who's who and all that, but there were some, some, you know, cameos, let's put it that way. He was like, huh, uh, they are somebody who's going to be more important later, <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, it's nice to see that, you know, this this does feel like a franchise that has been thought through, that they do have like an overarching story. Not everything gets answered in this movie. And for me, that's okay. It's long enough. And I think by the, by the end, I felt like I got everything out of it that I personally wanted. And I say that as somebody who didn't go into it wanting that much. I just wanted, just wanted, as if it's a small thing, I just wanted to be transported to Pandora in a visual way that I can't get anywhere else. That's what I wanted. And that's what I got. And then some. So sure. yeah, I'm a fan. I mean, I will say, I mean, you are correct now. Like it is establishing the sequels to come or at least the sequel to come. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to make it seem like this is just like franchise heavy at heart. It is a, a pretty, you know, 
uh, engaging story throughout it. You know, like in, by the end of it, you know, you, you do get a well-rounded experience, but it does obviously leave um, the door open for more possibilities in a way that first movie doesn't. And it's more self-contained in the sense of like you're seeing Jolly, uh, Sully's arc and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't want to like make it seem like that's like, you know, it's just like it's not like with the Marvel movies now where it's just like you're you're waiting to see a character that's going to be introduced five movies from now exactly, uh, in yeah. full. But like, yeah, I mean, I think Cameron is just so he, he knows what he's doing. And I, I think, you know, he's also experimenting and just pushing the the envelope and willing to risk it all for everything that he loves. And I think he's so earnest about this world. And I think he's so uh, passionate about it in a way that doesn't feel like corporate interest. That's the thing for me is that like, if James Cameron wants to spend the rest of his career and his life making movies about Pandora, I'm okay with it as long as he wants to do it. Like, I think he he's not making five Avatar movies just because uh, Disney is like pressuring to him. I think, I mean, there might be some of that, but I think it, in, uh, in full, I think he just wants to immerse himself in this world. He's thought about it so much. He wants to give uh, back that, that experience to many people. And I, I think that's really what makes this franchise as it is uh, at least at this point, more impactful than like most others at this point is that it's willing to, to give you what you love, but also do different things. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a good, good James Cameron experience. It's good to have him back. And uh, you know, in two years from now or whatever, when we get uh, avatar three, I hope the same can be said. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be another 13 years before the next one. They, they already shot a lot of what's to come because uh they didn't want the kids to age out, right? So they had to, you know, sort of get that taken care of. But all right, I think that is our cue to play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Avatar The Way of Water. We have 237 reviews counted. It's still pretty early. Uh, I think this is going to be one of those movies that gets in like the 400s by the end of the weekend. So we're kind of looking at it before I think it's the we're really even close to the final score, but let's see what happens. Uh, we are recording this the Thursday of its release, so December 15th, just for everybody has context. Mm. So Will Ashton, yes. 237 reviews. What yes. do you think the RT score is? Have you been spoiled yet on this one? It's been reported. Uh, no, I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, at least right. not in its present state. I'm going to say 95%. What I liked about that is that like you closed your eyes you know, it really felt like you were trying to connect with the spirits, your ancestors, in order to... No, it's not 95%. You're way off. Um, mm. Like, you're off by a lot. Uh, more oh, than you wow. have been in a while. Oh, okay. um, so Interesting. It is an 80%. Oh, oh, it's much lower yeah. than I anticipated. Well, I, you know what? There have been some critics who are just like, Avatar? Oh, yeah. Way of Water? Get out of my way. Um, yeah. I don't want to watch it. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, like Guardian Telegraph, you know, I were talking about this, like they're just I, like, nah, yeah, this ain't it. I'm so glad I liked the film to be clear, but there was a part of me that I was like, if I didn't, it'd be so cool just to say a watered down retread for like this, <laughs> the, you know, kind of snappy, uh, subtitle for the review. I haven't but... even, yeah. I haven't even seen that, uh, that pun come through yet. Oh no. The, one of the first ones says everything here is retread. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, but, watered right. down is the, the key. Cause it's, you know, that's true. That's yeah. true. I don't say that, uh, anywhere here, but anyway, uh, yeah. So 80%. What about audience score? We have 250 plus verified ratings. I think a lot of people have gone to like the promo screenings and stuff. That's probably where that's coming from. But, uh, yeah. What do you think? 99% baby is not it is okay. what you guessed for the critic score 
95. Okay, 95, okay. Yeah, yeah, a little bit lower. Uh, and I, again, I think it's going to change and shift over time. I, I'm curious, Will, what do you, do you think that 80% critic score is going to go up or down after the weekend? I want to say it's going to go up slightly. That's I think my it's going to go up a little bit. I think... It went down from like its original because yeah. I think the negative reviews came, but I think most of the re- negative reviews have come. And I think what's left are like the people who didn't get invited to premieres and stuff. And I think a lot of the time they tend to be a little bit more positive. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm just not really, I guess, seeing like super negativity for the film. And it seems like, like three out of four critics are going to be like, even lightly positive just like well yeah. you can't deny it's a visual feast and like you gotta see it in theaters and all that stuff so three out of five is the way i imagine like at least a, a decent number of critics are going to do if not higher so i would presume that that score is going to go up to like 87 or something before it's all said and done but who knows who knows who knows i mean i'm just looking at this review from luke goodsell abc news australia okay. what good are the medium's most elaborate awe-inspiring special effects of a film can't tell a story that's new or alter the way an audience experiences narrative cinema and i gotta say like yikes because it it's it's not it, yeah it's derivative but come on like it's it's not not new <laughs> like right. i don't know i i think that that's kind of like a surface level criticism but uh you know I've seen other criticisms that essentially are just like, yeah, I, I, not for me. And that, that's all good. But all right. What about Letterboxd? Because we don't have a cinema score yet. I'll double I check. Ask, I don't yeah. think we're going to get one until it uh, might be, uh, a couple days. Not, not until closer to the weekend is right. over. Yeah, um, as we speak, they're, they're turning in their cinema scorecards, whatever they are. Um, <laughs> so I can get to be uh, on They're the collecting phone, but... their riches because they were betting – on James Cameron. That's right. They were slotting their machines. Ah, uh, yeah. But uh, so, Letterbox. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to say uh, uh, 40, or sorry, no, sorry, 4.4. 4. Well, I haven't said how many people oh, okay. logged in and all that. So we have 26,000 have logged in, which is pretty high for, you know, it's still only Thursday. Uh, so I imagine that'll go up quite a bit after the weekend. Uh, but okay. Yeah. Out of zero to five. Uh, and you know, this is something that's going to probably shift and go up and down and up and down. Uh, right now it's a four and I would have assumed that it would be at its highest right now, which is mm. like 4.5. So uh, I probably would have guessed around the same as you will, but no, it's 4.0. And you know what? I'm looking at the people I know who logged it. So I have like 40 people here. There are a good number of people who are just like, you know what? Avatar. I'm not going back to, they are panning this Pandora movie. Uh, some of these people include like Adam Kempinar, Robert Daniels, mm. uh, some people you don't, I don't even know if you know, uh, yeah. Danielle Saltzman is usually very, very kind to blockbuster films. I was like, nah, this ain't the one. And other than that, I mean, I'm seeing, I'm seeing three stars, like Alex Zoud gave it three stars. It might as well be five if mm. from him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm seeing lots of I mean, fours and four and a half. So I imagine you're seeing the same. But, uh, you know, somebody who's been on the show, Kristen Lopez, gave it one and a half stars. One and a yeah, half. Yeah, I saw her uh, negative review. And I wasn't quite sure what the, the reasoning was, but uh, I guess I can look into that. Yeah, yeah. Called it a tired rehash of the, the first film. And then also, Not uh, a watered down retread? Huh? Not a watered down retread? 
No, I didn't, I didn't see. I mean, I didn't read the whole thing. Really. My, uh, uh, Isaac Feldberg also, yeah, a friend of the show, gave it two stars. Hmm. But, uh, you know, hey, that's they, the business, you know, sink or swim. They said, uh, the way of water, no way, Jose. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, is like this movie is going to have a lower Rotten Tomato score than Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish. Uh, I well, won't tell we, you what that score is, but you got a big hint <laughs> on how that one's doing. But yeah. critics are Paddington Tooing, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I'm, mm. I'm excited to see it. Excited <laughs> to review it with my good buddy, Pat Serafini. Oh, ouch. Yikes. And John Negroni. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. So too little too late. All right, that'll do it for our show. Next week, uh, we have we have some we, we have some movies we could do. We could do Babylon. Uh, we okay. could do Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, we could okay. do The Whale. Uh, sure. I think, yeah, it kind of depends on what you want to do, Will, because uh, there's, there's I, some options. I thought we were going to do a bonus for Babylon. I don't know for sure. I mean, I thought we were going to do, we do a bonus for After Sun if we could wrangle it. Uh, I'd I mean, like to do that. Yeah, I'm down for that if we can do it. Those are, um, those are the main ones. I haven't seen Empire of Light. I, I do have a screener. Yeah. I just haven't gotten to it. I don't know if I will. But I don't know, I don't know where you're at with that one. The new Sam Mendes. I am curious. I'm not chomping at the bit. Right. It's kinda, I, that's kind of where I'm at. I think the trailer looks nice. The reviews have not been very nice. No. They've been mixed. And, uh, and look, I, I, part of it, too, is that like Christmas is almost here hmm. uh, for those who celebrate. And I... I got a lot. I want to, there are a couple of neon things that I want to watch, you know, over that. And also like, I'm going to, part of the reason we're recording this on a Thursday instead of after the weekend is because I'm going to be out of town this weekend. And so yeah. I'm not going to watch anything over the weekend. So I'm, I'm running mm. behind. Will. what am I doing? Yeah. I don't know what you're doing, man. Yeah. But Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll talk about Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Same week as white noise. Yeah. Uh, not looking forward to either of those reviews. Um, Oof. I am looking forward to talking about the pale blue eye. That's one I hope that you watch. Oh, I mean, shot here in Pittsburgh. You can tell when you watch it because it's oh, like yeah? very dark, dreary, and you don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you so and so. Oh, um, also, bones and all. That was I knew we were forgetting something. Bones yeah, and I all is the one. other one. Yeah, yeah you just watched one. it. Um, I was gonna okay. So before this review wraps up, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. How would you feel if Avatar? You know, like you know how some sequels like. They flip it where it's just like, like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Second one's honey, I blew up the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what if they had one where uh, the sequel to Avatar was like, all right, the humans have become Navi. The Navi are now going to Earth to become humans. And it's like the man who fell to Earth, but with like a Navi in like uh, human form. It's kind of like Vincent D'Onofrio and Men in Black. And it's just like them awkwardly just trying to like get acquainted with human life and they just kind of get depressed and isolated. And they, they realize that earth is such a, like, you know, soul draining place. And that's just the second film. How would you feel if that was the film? Thanks again for listening to Cinemaholics. <laughs> you know what? Well, I think in about 10 years, maybe 15, we're, we're going to have like a space jam two situation or a Chippendale <laughs> rescue Rangers where the Navi are going to be like a whole plot element of some contemporary like movie and the joke is going to be that nobody knows what Navi are. I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Uh, but I think that it could, and that it would be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, if there was like a Disney smash brothers, you know, like super smash brothers, but with Disney characters, I would play as uh, Jake Sully. Yeah. And Nick Tiri. Mm-hmm. I'd do it. 
And their ultimate move would be when they come in on the flying. Anyway, thanks for listening to our show. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email and tell us what you think, tell us what you really think. Uh, just email us up. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you all on the next one from the United California. I'm John Negroni. And from the United Pennsylvania, I'm Wes. See you. I see you I next see you. time. I see you, John. I see you next time.